Good morning, everyone. As Jeff said, my name is Reese, and I'm an elder here at Grace Fellowship. It's a real privilege here uh, for me to be here this morning and to teach from John 17. It's on page 587. If you need a church Bible back there, if you want to hand those out, Tom. If you need one, raise your hand. A pen or an outline, he has those as well. We did a good job handing them out, I see. If you would like uh, to take advantage of our nursery, it is available over here on this side uh, for children. They are welcome here as well. Like I said, 587, we're at John 17, if you want to open up your Bibles to that. This morning we're going to talk about prayer. And the question on the table is, why should God listen to you? Like, really? Why should he listen to you when you pray? Most of the time, I think we, we don't think about it, or we feel like God should listen to us because of something that we did or something that we earned. But really, that's just silly. If you think about it, he made you, like he made you. He made the universe. He created your very existence. You didn't do anything to earn his favor. Why should he listen to you? He even set it up so that your own hearts are going to be beating this morning so you could listen and pay attention. Just imagine if you had to keep your own heart beating. How tiring that would be. Like, beat, beat, beat. Whew, that'd be hard, right? You have to spend your whole life keeping yourself alive. So, he's created your heart to beat. He's created you. He's done all these things. Consider the vastness of the universe, even. I was doing a little bit of research on this. The closest star to Earth is what? The sun. Okay, don't let anybody trick you about that. But the next closest one is Alpha Centauri, which is about four light years away. That means traveling at the speed of light, it'll take four years to get there. And we don't even have that ability to travel the speed of light. So it will take forever, basically, to get there. And that's the closest one. Within a 17-light-year radius of the Earth, scientists gather that there's 45 stars. They gather that there are more than 200 billion stars in our universe, only 45 within a 17-light-year radius of the Earth. I mean, the, the universe is vast and expansive, and God created all of it. So why should he listen to you on this little speck way, you know, somewhere off in the corner of the universe, and he created your very existence. Why should he listen to you? That's the big question. And John 17, I believe, is going to help us answer that question. Because the answer is not because of anything that we have done, but it's because of what Jesus has done. And I hope that by the time we're done this morning, your view on prayer and answering that question, why God should listen to you, will be radically altered by the time that we're done. This is an amazing passage. This is the longest prayer ever recorded that Jesus, Jesus himself prays in the whole Bible. The one reason that God is going to listen to your prayers is because of Jesus' name. You'll see that the title of the talk this morning is Praying in Jesus' Name. So let's read John 17 together and we'll get started. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you, 
since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to those whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to a people who you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made them known to you, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Amen. We're going to cover this passage in three sections that are on your outline. You can see that, the occasion for the prayer, what Jesus prays for, and why he prays. So the occasion for the prayer, verse 1, Jesus says in his prayer, Father, the hour has come. Now, we've been going through John from chapter 1 all the way up to chapter 17. And if, if you remember this, this phrase about the hour coming is a very important one in the Gospel of John. And it refers to the time when Jesus is going to die. So you see all throughout John, there's these interactions where Jesus may be getting in trouble or people are upset with him. And it says, his time hasn't come. His time hasn't come. His time hasn't come. And in John 12 is the first time where it says the time has come. And it's Jesus talking in John 12, 23. And he's referring to his impending death on the cross. And it just happened just a, a day or two before this, even though it was in chapter 12. There's not much time that passes. And in John 13, there's the Last Supper, if you remember. Then um, Judas leaves, 
And then Jesus is teaching the, the remaining 11 disciples from the end of 13 all the way up to this point. He's giving them instructions. And he's giving them comfort. And now we find ourselves, Jesus turning from that instruction and he's turning towards God in prayer. Matthew Henry says this about the, this transition. He says, when Jesus had spoken from God to the disciples, he turns now to speak to God for them. So he, he gave God's words to them and now he's speaking to God for them. And if you remember from last week, you might want to turn or look to it. Verse 24 of chapter 16. One of the last things that Jesus says to the disciples, he says, until now you have not asked for anything in my name, ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Maybe you've often wondered what that means. So Jesus tells them to ask in his name. And I believe that this, what he's doing right now is he's demonstrating for them what that actually means. So let's make some observations, general observations of this prayer. One of the first things to note is that Jesus prays out loud. He doesn't need to pray out loud. He can pray quietly to the Father or whisper, but he prays out loud so that the disciples who are right there with him get to hear this, this prayer. It was meant to be heard. And if you notice at the end of chapter 16 into the beginning of chapter 17, there's no, there's no break. They don't break for tea or, you know, to go for a jog or something. It just says Jesus is talking and it says after he said this, he looks towards heaven and prays. So they're right there. Another observation is that that he looks towards heaven. So he looks up with his eyes open towards heaven and prays. This is a signal that he is a servant of God. He wants to do God's will. He is submitting to the Father and demonstrating that to the disciples. It's an echo of Psalm 123, verse 1, which says, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in heaven. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's looking towards heaven. Another observation is that his prayer is very relational. I don't know if you noticed how many times he says Father or the pronoun of you when he's talking about the Father. But Father is repeated five times. I didn't count the pronouns. But it's very relational. This isn't a prayer of, hey, big guy upstairs, can you, can you help these guys out over here? They're, I'm going to be leaving and, you know, they're going to need some help. It's not like that. It's very relational. It's, Father, I care for these men. They're my friends. I will obey you to, uh, to do your will and encourage these men. So it's very relational. There's also a lot of repetition in this passage. A lot of the, the sentences, I don't know if you noticed, are, are repeated and to highlight certain things. Some of the things that are repeated here is the idea of giving, like give, gave, given, I counted that. That's 16 times that was that's in here. Maybe the most repeated thing in this passage. So there's lots of giving, showing us a little bit of God's character, right? God is giving to Jesus. Jesus is giving to disciples. Jesus is giving back to God. Lots of giving going back and forth. Another repeated thing is the unity and the knowing. So God is Jesus is praying a lot for unity. So the people who believe in him would be one just as he and the Father are one and experience this closest in unity and that they know him like he knows the Father. So it's not just an intellectual, oh, I know about you, but no, I really know you. You know his character. And those are the things that Jesus is praying for. And another big thing that he's praying for is God's glory. This is the chief end of the prayer. It's all. It's right in the very beginning. 
so that the Son may glorify you. That's in verse 1. That's what this whole thing is about. And that is a big repeated theme in here, so that everything he prays for is for God's glory. It's not a selfish prayer. It's all rooted in God's glory and honoring him. So if you've, uh, if you've hung around Christians for any, uh, any short period of time, you know that they say a particular, particularly uh, curious phrase at the end of their prayers. What is that? In Jesus' name, right. What does that mean? Why do they do that? Why do they say that? Well, first off, they probably say it because of, of Jesus, verse 24 of chapter 6. But if you think about it, Maybe you didn't know this, but Jesus' name actually really wasn't Jesus. So to pray in Jesus' name might be a little bit odd. His name was actually Yeshua in Hebrew. We only say Jesus in English because of a trans- how we translate Greek to English, and it was influenced by Latin. But his na- real name is Yeshua in Hebrew, so it really isn't his own name, uh, technically. So uh, that's, just a, that's just a freebie. But secondly... <laughs> Praying in Jesus' name doesn't mean that it, it's God's sort of um, like a magical incantation that he'll now answer your prayers. Maybe that's how we think of it or unconsciously act that way. It's not like if you're a parent, maybe you want your child to say please and you're holding the candy until they say please and then you can finally give it to them. Or Jesus is just waiting, or God's up in heaven just waiting until you say Jesus' name. He's like, oh, thank you. Okay, now I can answer your prayer. That's not what's happening. Usually we have no idea the weight of what that actually means, praying in Jesus' name. Jesus, like I said, clearly demonstrates it, I believe, to the disciples here. And you notice he doesn't say, and I pray this all in my name at the end of the prayer, because it's not about the phrase itself. It's much more than that. Verse 4, I think, is key. Look at that. Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. It's about glorifying the Father and and the work that Jesus has done. And the chief among that is him dying on the cross. And that is revealing the Father's name or the Father's character, which Jesus embodies himself. F.F. Bruce commentator says this. He says, the Father's name already declared to the disciples by the Son, would be declared in the Son's death on the cross more eloquently than in any other way. So the cross, Jesus dying for the sins of men, is going to display, embody God's character, His name. His name is power. His name is glory. And this is what it means. The Son ultimately obeying the Father in every respect. That is what he's revealing, and Jesus is revealing his name as well. So when you pray in Jesus' name, it's not just the add-on to bless your prayer to you know make sure it's, it's all good, but what you're basing your prayer on if you say that, or you mean it, is that you're basing your entire prayer on Jesus, his life, his obedience, his death on the cross, and his resurrection. Everything hinges on that when you pray. And so that is why God will listen to you when you pray. It's because of Jesus' work on the basis of his glory and his work is why we pray and why God will listen. So, do you pray in Jesus' name or just tack it on to your prayers? Do you pray on the basis of Jesus' life and obedience? Do you think about that?
Or more specifically, when you pray for things like safety and travel, or your friend's sick and you say, I'll pray for you, or you're, you're praying for a spouse, or you're praying about a financial matter, or something like that, do you root those requests in God's glory and honor and base them on Jesus' death and resurrection? Right? Connecting what he's done with us to our real lives, everyday life, and every prayer that we pray. Like I said, Jesus is, is very intimate with the Father here in his relationship and his prayer influenced by that, that depth of that relationship. And so let's consider how is our relationship? How is your relationship with God? Is he the big guy upstairs who will, you know, throw you a bone every so often? Or is he your Father in heaven? When I was studying this passage, I was, uh, I was really perplexed at what I was going to share this morning. Because is this, is this, is this a message on prayer? Is this a message on unity, of God's character, about God encouraging his disciples? I don't know. But one thing that really became clear to me is that the relationship that Jesus has with the Father and how he prays intimately is so far removed from my own life that I am much more on the big guy upstairs side of the spectrum than I am the Father side. And that was very convicting and still is. God is not the, uh, dispensing machine, or maybe another analogy is I try to think of it's like winning the lottery to get your prayer request answered. So if you put enough ballots in, maybe we'll answer one of them. That's, uh, that's not true. So Jesus prays here to show the disciples that the basis for all of their prayers is his obedience to the Father, his death on the cross. That's the occasion for the prayer. So let's look at what Jesus prays for and learn from some of the particulars from, from what he prays. Now, remember the context again. Jesus is moments away from dying on the cross, moments away from the disciples running away, abandoning him, lots of uh, potential, potential anxiety and stress in this situation. Jesus, in verse 13, wants his disciples to have the joy that he has. So he has lots of joy through all of this. So what does he pray for in the midst of this situation? Well, there's, there's, we'll break it down into three categories of things that he prays for. He prays for himself, he prays for the disciples, and he prays for future disciples. Jesus is praying for himself. There's two main things that he prays for, and they're both very encouraging. Verse 2, um, or verse 1, he prays that the Son may glorify the Father. Jesus is going to sacrifice himself in obedience to the Father to bring glory. And he's praying and asking God to glorify him so that he can glorify the Father. That's one of his main prayer requests. And the other one is at the end of the passage in verse 24, one of the other main ones, is that Jesus prays that those whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory. So what Jesus is praying for there is he's praying for you, for all believers of all time, I want them to be with me in heaven. That's pretty cool. If you've ever seen that World War II poster of the Uncle Sam, like, I want you. Imagine Jesus, I want you. I want you. I want you to be with me where I am. I don't know if you had this experience, but I always despised and disliked the experience in grade school where they had the, uh, the picking of the teams for sports events. I'd always get picked last. I'm like, oh, this is so bad. Just highlights how bad I am at everything. You pick last. Or the times where maybe you had this experience where you were, uh, 
either invited or not invited to somebody's birthday party. And there were times when I got invited. You know, the cool kids, they were already a shoe-in. But the uncool kids, you know, you always wonder, like, will I get invited or will I not get invited? And sometimes did, sometimes didn't. That is not the case here with Jesus. He invites the uncool kids and the unpopular kids and the sinful ones and those who think they don't deserve it and don't earn it. He invites them to come to his party. And he wants you. That's what he's praying for. Those who will believe in the message. That's verse 20. He wants them to come to him. All right, so that's some of the things that Jesus prays. For the disciples, what does he pray for? These are the people who are listening. Verse 9, super encouraging for them to hear Jesus say, I'm praying for them. Verse 13, like I said before, he wants them to have his joy. That's what he's praying for them, that they have joy that he has, even in the midst of the situation. Verse 11, he wants them to have unity with each other, to work on their relationships, to have unity just like Jesus has with the Father. And then verse 15, another thing he prays for is that they be kept from the evil one, that they, they not be taken away like Judas who, who did not fully believe that Jesus was the Son of God and lived that out. He doesn't want them to be distracted from believing in Jesus and who he really was. So that's what he's praying for them. And then finally, the third category is that Jesus is praying for future believers. And that's... Uh, that's those who will believe in their message and all the way up to today. Imagine if you were the disciples listening on Jesus' prayer and he says, and you overhear him say in verse 20, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now, they probably had an idea that Jesus was going to send them out. He told them he was going to do that. And Jesus here says, there are people who will believe in, in your word or their word. Now, how encouraging would that be? You'd be like, whoa. That would encourage you to do some outreach, right? Like, there are going to be people who are going to believe because of this message that we're going to share. Now, imagine if that were true for us. Well, it is. <laughs> Jesus prayed that people will believe in the message that goes out. So the pressure really is off of us to... And there really is no pressure for us. To, we can't convince anybody or change their hearts. But we can give them the message of Jesus to people that Jesus has already prayed for who will believe. So consider that. Neighbors, friends, or whoever else is around you. There, God may be putting you in places to tell them about Jesus so that they will believe. Super encouraging. He's praying for that. And he's also praying for unity for all the believers. That is in verse 21 and verse 23. He even says that they would be perfectly one in unity. So what are some applications? Do you pray big? I mean, like big. Consider this last prayer request that Jesus prays, or at least two of them. One is for every believer he's praying for to be unified. Well, praying for them and praying for them all to be unified in all of time. I don't know when the earth is going to end, but that's probably billions and billions of people that he's praying for. That's a big prayer request. How do you pray? Do you pray big, like Jesus? Remember who you're asking when you pray. I think that helps. Remember those two billion stars out there? Yeah, he made those. So he's the one you're asking. 
Do you pray intentionally and intimately with all kinds of prayer requests? I remember it was a long time ago. I was kind of a new Christian or new work Christian. I don't remember exactly what it was, but there was a situation. I don't even remember what it was, but I do remember one thing is that uh, one of the, the ladies that we were with, she said, why don't we, why don't we stop and pray about this? Whatever the thing was. And I thought, whoa, like you can do that. I thought prayer requests are something you write down and then you pray about it later. Like, so it's not awkward in the moment, you know? But I thought, wow, that's amazing. Like, I want that. I want to be able to pray about everything all the time and stop and pray because real life is about depending on God and prayer is communicating with God and it's a relationship and it's intentional. So do you pray like Jesus does? Father, and is it part of your life and your experience? And then finally, in terms of application, have you ever thought about this, that Jesus is praying for those who will believe that they will have unity? So that our actions with one another as believers will either help or hinder Jesus' prayer for unity? Have you ever thought about that? That your actions are directly connected to Jesus' prayer for unity. I remember when I was uh, I single, had some roommates, as a real, real problem, uh, struggle with one of my roommates, and we were all Christians, and um, uh, our, th- our third roommate was sort of a mediator between the two of us. And he was talking to me one time, and he said, you know, this other guy, you may not, you might have some real trouble with him, but do you realize that he's made in the image of God? And that kind of stopped me dead in my tracks. Like, yeah, you're right. Like, here I was just looking at him as this, like, problem, you know, not as a person made in the image of God, let alone a believer in Christ. And I was very convicted that in my relationship with him, I was not modeling what Jesus is talking about here, this kind of unity. And that, wait, I have an opportunity to help answer Jesus' prayer for unity so that the world may see that he has come. I mean, that's the basis for our unity with one another. I mean, I had hardly anything in common with this other guy. But... The key is that Jesus died for our sins, and that was the commonality between us. And it's a constant battle with successes and failures, and I'm sure it's the same for you too. So where do you need to change? How can you answer Jesus' prayer? Do you need to ask someone for forgiveness or maybe go to them and bring up an issue so that you're not living with bitterness? Consider how you can grow in unity with one another. So Jesus asked for God's glory, he asked for protection, he asked for unity of his people, and finally he wants them to come to heaven with him. Now finally, third point, why does Jesus pray? There's two main reasons that I want to highlight, there are many. Like I said, the first one is to glorify God. That is the main reason why Jesus is praying. The time has come, this is why he has come to earth, to die for the sins of the world. And he asks that he be glorified so that he may glorify the Father. He uh, bases this prayer on his accomplished work, on his obedience in verse 4. This is something that you and I cannot do. We don't base our prayer on, God, see how I have done all that perfectly obeyed you. No, we base our prayers on this, verse 4, what Jesus has done. And you don't see in this prayer a, a, a repentance because Jesus didn't need to repent. But our prayers are full of repentance and basing like I said, on Jesus' work. So Jesus prays in order to glorify God, and he demonstrates that he's a servant, and he wants everything that he does 
to be for God's glory. The other reason that I want to highlight of why he prays is to encourage those guys who are listening. Remember, this is, this is not praying in a vacuum. These guys are right around listening to everything that he's saying. And we don't know exactly how they were feeling. There's really no indication here. It's just Jesus talking. But my guess is that they were a little unsure, maybe a little scared, maybe a little rattled. What's going to happen next? For example, look at verse 12. Jesus says, while I was with them. Okay, they heard him say was. Wait, what's going to happen? I was with them? They may be a little bit rattled. But Jesus is praying for their benefit. Remember, at the end of 16, he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. He wants them to be comforted, but they're going to go through something very trying when they see Jesus die. But he wants them to know the depth of his love for them. There's another online commentator, or another commentator says this, The purpose of Jesus making God's name known to them is not that they would have information about God, but they would have intimacy in order that verse 26 would be true. Which says, Jesus says, I will continue to make your name known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So he wants them to know and be encouraged by the love he has for them. And he's going to demonstrate it on the cross in just a little bit from here. So application. What are some things that apply to us? God wants these two same things for you. The first one is that he wants you to glorify the Father. And you are, if you are a believer in Jesus, you are a glory to him. Look at verse 10. Jesus says, All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. So believing in Jesus is a glory unto him, which is a glory unto the Father. He also wants you to be encouraged. This is one of the few Bible passages that actually has you in it. Have you ever thought about that? But you are right here in, uh, in verse 20. Those who will believe in me through their word. So the disciples taught about Jesus, who taught about Jesus, taught about Jesus. 2,000 years later, here we are. So Jesus wants you to be encouraged. And he wants you to have unity with one another. And he wants verse 19 to be true of you, where he says, I consecrate myself so that they, speaking of these believers, may be sanctified in truth. So if you believe in Jesus, you are sanctified in truth. That means that God accepts you, that you are forgiven of your sins. You are clean. God holds nothing over your head. There's not a hammer that's going to drop because you're going to mess up one more time and, and God's like, ha, I'm out of here. If you believe in Jesus, if you've given him your life, and said, I will stake my life on you. I will follow you. You have forgiveness. And the basis for all of your prayer is Jesus' name, like I said, because of what he has done. He calls you a son or daughter if you're a believer. And remember his words in Matthew 7, 7. He says, ask and you will receive. You're a son or daughter. Ask and you will receive. He wants us to depend on him so that we live for his glory and that we are encouraged and know his depth of love for us. So Jesus prays these things for his disciples and for us. So finally... Why should we pray? Because God wants you to come to heaven. That's why we should pray. Because he wants a deep relationship with you. 
because he wants you to ask him for things. And he wants to give them to you for his glory. Why should God listen to you? Because it brings him glory because of the work that Jesus has done. If that is the basis for all of your prayer, it brings him glory. That's why God will listen to you. And really, whether we use the phrase in Jesus' name or not, every prayer to God's throne is on the basis of Jesus' work. That is the root of it all. Not based on our obedience or our works, but based on His. So let's pray. Jesus, thank You for Your message, Your prayer that the disciples heard and that we get to read and reread as, as much as we want because it's written down. Please transform our hearts and our minds <clears throat> that we would grow in our, in our relationship with you. Forgive us for treating you like a cosmic Coke machine or big guy upstairs who just dispenses out answers to prayers whenever we ask or like you're a doctor and we only go to see you when we're sick. Uh, not like a father who we we come home or who comes home and, and we uh, embrace him when he comes home from work. That type of a deep relationship. God, I pray that you would help each one of us to know you more deep, deeply and thoroughly and that you would use our prayers to transform us for your glory and that we would rely on Jesus who died for our sins. We pray this all in your name. Amen.